Well, hello, and uh, welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is episode number 31, and I'm your host, Brooke McCallery. I am currently sitting on my bed next to my co-host, who also shares his bed, Ben McCallery. Hey, folks. It's Ben McCallery from the Slow Home Podcast. Sorry, just channeling my Mark Maron, because we're going to go and see him. Tomorrow night. By the time you've listened to this, we would have seen him, our one of our podcasting idols. He is. He's an inspiration in terms of podcasting. <laughs> yeah. Substance abuse and stuff, not so much. Total different show <laughs> and subject matter, but um, he is an inspiration. Oh, he's, he is. He's awesome. He's such a yeah, such a good interviewer. Hmm. And as you are, you're developing into a great interviewer, if I can say that. Um, your conversation today with Alex 2X Stewart. So tell me a bit about Alex. Uh, Alex writes uh, about low-tox living mostly. Um, she runs some courses and uh, writes a blog uh, about low-tox living, which is you know, obviously pretty much what it sounds like, just learning to live with less toxins and less nasty stuff in it. the food that we eat and the things that we put on our body and in our home, basically. So that's Alex's, um, you know, main focus. And we talk about that quite a bit today, but we also talk about why she started to shift from, you know, someone who worked in the cosmetics industry to someone who pretty much, you know, works in opposition to at least traditional big pharma cosmetics. Yeah, it's kind of it, it's it's really interesting to hear her story and, and why she she started to make those choices and how I think becoming a parent also played into that. And that for me is the most interesting thing about these podcasts is the story behind why people what's the trigger around why people decide to live the slow and intentional life. And for Alex, it was around the food and uh, the products that she was using on herself and around her home. But for other people, it's something completely different. But it's that trigger that I really find fascinating. It's the common thread, if you like. Yeah, I always like to try and start conversations with that kind that that question or that question of catalyst because I'm fascinated mm. to hear that invariably everyone that I've spoken to has come to make these changes be it you know becoming a minimalist or uh, changing significantly the way they eat or you know like Kate and Sam they they decided to get out of quite a significant amount of debt um, because they all reached this crisis point. And everyone's crisis point is different. It might be relationships, it might be health, it might be mental health, it might be, uh, you know, coming to crushing debt and realizing that whatever it is. But um, everyone has these these catalyst moments, and I find them fascinating. So I hope you guys enjoy them. Uh, yeah, and I, I'd really like to know what you want to know more about in these conversations as well, because I, I feel. Some ways, I guess, I kind of feel this tension between what the show's called, which is the Slow Home Podcast, and you know, it's essentially about talking to people who have opted to slow down or simplify their life in a particular way. 
But sometimes I worry that the conversations that we have aren't in keeping with the the podcast title. You know, I think I don't know. I think I'm probably overthinking it. But um, yeah, I, I think you're overthinking it. <laughs> doesn't sound like something I'd do, does it? Really? Well, you're not going to be everything to everyone, and some people's mm-hmm. idea of what this podcast is is completely different to other people. So I think you know, cut yourself some slack. That's that's actually why I'm asking. Like, I, I want to know what people want to know. You know, so I, I've been getting some input from people. They'd like more stories from you know, real people is the wrong word. Like people who don't work online, people who don't have a blog or a book to talk about, mm-hmm. and that's something that I'm working on doing. Those different sorts of people, those non-freaks. What? Did you just call me a freak? Yeah, but well, that's the way you were sort of framing it. No, it's just, I mean, like, of course, people who work online and, and uh, you know, write or podcast or whatever, they're accessible because they talk about their story. There's For every one person online who's talking about making these changes, there's probably 5,000 uh, just live, going about their day living, you know, living their life. Yeah, well, if we wanted to do that, we'd call the podcast the Humans of New York podcast. That's a good name. It is a good name. Someone should do something with that. TM. Trademarked. Now, in this podcast, you speak a lot, uh, well, Alex speaks a lot about um, different resources and materials. Where can people go and find that information? Because there's quite a lot of handy resources. There is. As always, you can go to the show notes of the um, the episode, which is slowyourhome.com slash uh, 31 and you can also go and check out Alex's website as well where you can then find all of her social media and her blog and uh, information about the courses that she runs and that's at alexstuart.com and Alex is with two X's and Stuart is uh, U-A, not E-W. So that's where you can find all of those ring-a-ding things. And folks, today's episode is not brought to you by Chipotle.com. It's um, actually brought to you by Patreon.com. Uh, what is Patreon? It's a it's a platform where people who listen to the show can become patrons of it if they would like to. Um, we had a lot of requests from people, uh, particularly when we first started working with other brands that who would like to support the show in a different way, in a direct way. Uh, so we decided to start a Patreon page and anyone who would like to contribute financially to the show can go and, and do that there. They just go to patreon.com slash slow and uh, you know, people are contributing anything from a, from a dollar a month and that just helps us cover the costs of things like hosting, uh, which, you know, it, it all adds up over the month. Particularly for, for the real rubbish internet speeds that we get in Australia, the extra work mm-hmm. involved with that. Yeah, so if you're interested, um, go and visit Patreon, which is P-A-T, I'm going to get this right, wrong, R-E-O-N.com forward slash slow. And I think we should start doing some shout outs too for those that have what do you think about that for those that have contributed? It's a great idea. So this one goes out to all you that have already contributed. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
I mean, genuinely, we really, we really do appreciate the fact that anyone um, would be willing to to provide some support financially to the show because, uh, you know, I think that's that's wonderful and we really, we really do appreciate it. So for those of you who have, thank you, a, just a great deal. Thank you. We love to hear that you're enjoying the show because we love doing it. <laughs> we do. Enjoy the podcast. Enjoy the podcast, my friends. Hey, Alex. Hello. How are you? I'm really well, thanks, Brooke. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. It's it's awesome to talk to you. And yeah, I know it's really great to be here. It's so funny when you meet people online and and um, you kind of feel like you'd know them and you'd even have a coffee with them if you saw them. But yeah, it's it's nice when you um you get to actually have a proper chat. <laughs> That's the weird thing about kind of existing in this online world. You you so often feel like you know someone. Like we we're just saying off air, you feel like you know someone, um, and then it's a whole other level of connection when you actually get to meet them or talk to them. I know exactly. I often find when I hold events, if alumni from my e-courses or people who follow my page um, come up to me, uh, like I just go and give them a big hug, and then they freak out. I'm like, <laughs> but we know each other. <laughs> Just making that shift into like meat space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh dear. Um, so you are a guru, I would suggest, of low tox living. That's what you write about, that's what you um you you create courses in service of. Can you tell me, um, in a nutshell, what do you mean by low tox living? So when I first started my my very first blog, it was like a little baby blog before my alexstewart.com blog. And um, I was writing out the little category tabs. And I'll never forget this because I wanted one of the tabs to be about kind of debunking um, chemicals and things in our environment, home cleaning products, personal care, all that kind of stuff. Um, But kind of didn't want it to be this puritanical um, quest for perfection. And no tox or toxic free and um, chemical free and all that. I mean, you know, chemical free is hilarious because at the end of the day, everything is actually a chemical. <laughs> so I didn't love any of those. And I was like, what could it be? And um, just out of nowhere, really, quite literally by accident came this idea of low tox, um, which is just, it, it, I mean, the underlying message of it is to be doing the best we can. As we learn, we just change things little bit by little bit and we just get rid of some of these things that are impacting our health, our planet's health. And and so low tox, the concept of, was born. I love that because I think so often these kind of ideas are put into the, you know, puritanical, mm-hmm. you've got to do it perfectly or there's no point in doing it at all kind of camp. So as soon as I heard about low tox living from you, I'm, it's just such a like an evocative idea. Like low tox, mm-hmm. I can do that. Exactly. And I really wanted to feel like anyone taking any step from whatever point they were at, whether they were like sort of advanced nerds <laughs> or <laughs> or literally for the first time looking at their moisturizer tube or packet of 
um, uh, you know, like sort of some random food snack or whatever for their kids or themselves even, um, that they would that they would even still feel like they could go there and they could have a little look and a read and um, that the language wouldn't be offending or judgy or condescending to anyone who'd never heard of any of this stuff before, nor would it be boring to people who were really passionate about it. I really wanted it to feel super inclusive. And I think you do that really well. Like that's what I love about your writing and your blog and your courses and stuff. It's just like whatever efforts people can make, they are, they're golden. Like they're really important efforts. If that's what you can do today, that's enough. Exactly. Don't exhaust yourself. Don't freak yourself out. And, um, and I think people really appreciate that. And we always keep a a bit of an alumni, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, Facebook group um, for people who've done my courses and then they move into this other little area where, you know, everyone can just continue to chat until the end of time if they like. Um, and it's just beautiful to see people like a year after, which it's coming up to now, a year after my first e-course last October, um, still making a few of the bigger ticket item changes, like starting to go, okay, well, it's time to replace our mattress. So what's the best choice there, you know, it's easy to change your toothpaste and a moisturiser, but there's going to be things that are going to take months, if not years, to budget for or um, or swap out. And I'm a big fan of not just ditching everything big ticket because of landfill issues as well, you know, yeah. just let things ride their course. So, yeah, it's really, it, I feel like um, as a community, and it's myself included, maybe I'm the leader of that community, but I feel very much a part of it as well, um, is that we're all just doing the absolute best we can. Exactly. And I think it's just that kind of gentle encouragement, you know, and that, that, that idea that a small step is still a step in the right direction. I think that's really empowering for people. Totally. Yeah. Um, have you always been interested in like low tox living or was there a moment in your past where you realized that you wanted to make a change? Yeah, no, I definitely was not interested. I didn't even know about it. It wasn't even on my radar. Um, I was someone who grew up in, in the convenience 80s <laughs> um, and a toddler or an under five, if you like, in mid-70s America. I lived in Chicago. So, um, and that was really when the feminist movement began, when the food packaging companies came in and said, we'll take dinner off your hands, ladies. Um, Mm. and you know, when it all really began and, you know, I'm absolutely all for being in the workforce as a woman. Um, it's not about the fact that, oh no, we should all stop working and we should start making dinner every night because the fact is most of us probably do both. Um, but, uh, it's more about sort of, um, realizing that this was when the shift happened, when the too good to be true stuff happened. And we literally started to outsource the making of our food to food companies and and it was a bit of a disaster. So that was, you know, mum very much um, like so many mums of her day got on that bandwagon and thought how exciting um, that we've got help in the home from these wonderful food companies looking after us, which unfortunately, of course, they weren't. Um, Not for the most part. There's always a couple of great ones, but um, for the most part, it was pretty trashy, additive-laden food coming into the picture. And um, and so then I grew up in Sydney and, and uh, you know, I was the kid with the coolest, latest processed packet snack of whatever in my lunchbox and I would trade with the homemade stuff from other people. 
And, you know, I'm not saying this um, to say anything bad about my mum. There were most, it was normal. It was what everyone yeah, was absolutely. doing. I remember my, my bestie growing up who was the family who didn't have the microwave, who made everything from scratch, you know, and we all thought that was really weird. You know, why would you do that when you can have this? <laughs> um, pointing at a blue roll-up. So, um, so yeah, I, I grew up like a pretty normal Sydney city kid and um, but over the time got more and more sick. So I got tonsillitis quite a lot, probably three, four times a year, um, if not more towards the end, towards my teens. Uh, had um, glandular fever. Then I had migraines, really terrible migraines. And this is as a teenager. Mm. Teenagers shouldn't be getting migraines. But because we didn't know to look for cause, we just knew how to try and fix it. Um, I was given all sorts of steroidy sprays, nasal migraine relief sprays, things that were actually quite expensive too. Um, and, uh, and of course, the slew of antibiotics for the, the throat problems. So, Never once really, other than one of my doctors saying, you know, we really um, really should try and see why you're getting all these issues, maybe cut out processed cheese. And I did that and, and to be fair, that was something that helped. So, But it wasn't like back then because holistic healing was just not even on the radar if you're a regular city dweller, you know, perhaps it was in more rural areas or towns that were a bit more hippified. Um, generally, but in a in a in a city suburb, it wasn't it wasn't something that you had a naturopath alongside your doctor like so many people have today. Um, and so I really didn't start to to look that way until things got really really bad. And that was in my late twenties. I was in my little apartment in Bondi, living on my own at that time. And I had a little spit bottle <laughs> because I couldn't swallow, and it oh, was wow. so attractive. I know, um, <laughs> uh, and. Uh, and I remember just thinking there's just got to be an answer. I had been on four rounds of antibiotics. I was completely resistant to all the weak stuff by then and was on the serious heavies. And um, and I just thought there's got to be something. And luckily a friend of mine was getting counselling with someone who was also a naturopath. And um, she said, oh, you know, maybe you could see a naturopath. And 13 years ago that was still a pretty hippie woo-woo thing to do. Mm. Um, and so I thought, well, you know, there's really nothing that <laughs> I have to lose. I might as well try something. And she just did the simplest consultation, just um, poo-pooed me for smoking, which I did quite heavily at the time, um, and said, we'll deal with that later. But for now, if you could just do a, a two-day fast of brown, really well-cooked brown rice cooked in chicken stock um, and with really um, soft carrots and just eat nothing but that for two days, and take these two immune boosting supplements um, and and get back to me and I was perfectly fine in two days um, such such simple remedy um, and it was really the first time which is I guess why my body responded so well that we had treated me from the inside out instead of from the outside in so I really kind of woke up then and went "Ooh, I wonder wow that's pretty impressive what else can all this hippie woo woo stuff do and so slowly slowly started to learn I was never really interested in studying I'm a bit of an enabler I like um, promoting other people who are experts with studies and PhDs and degrees in these fields because there's just so many that I'm interested in in 
the area of holistic health. So it wasn't studying so much, but just helping those around me, just family and friends with the things I was learning from my naturopath. And, um, and we've had some incredible successes as a family dealing with some pretty um, interesting issues. And so uh, then my son was born. I left hospitality around that time and, and took a couple of years out initially to just be a mum but then realised um, I, I really wanted to do something and uh, started to write. That's such a cool story. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just enormous. Uh, I think uh, it just... It, I, I want to dig into it so much more. Um, now, did you start with the food that you were eating or did you start with the products that you were using on your body and in your house? So it very much started with food. Um, I just started to read labels. I started, we didn't have any cool apps back then, didn't even have <laughs> smartphones. So um, I literally just had to do a little bit of research in a couple of books I bought from a um, health shop in Bondi. Um, Chemical Free Kids was one of the books I read at the time by um, I think it's Professor Sarah Lance, if I'm not mistaken, and that was a really wonderful groundbreaking book in my eyes um, that started me on all the food additives and everything. It wasn't about kids. I didn't even have a kid myself, but it just seemed to be a book that existed to, um, to, help, to help demystify food labels, you know. And then started to think about um, personal care once I started digging from there. Um, Jude Bloreau's book was fantastic, uh, Whole Food for Children. I did have my little one by then. And, um, and then from there, I loved that book so much. So there were three or four books in suggested reading that she had for, for us as readers. So I went and bought all of those. And then from there, it just, you can't, to me, work on food and not what you're putting on your skin. Our skin is our biggest organ and um, and none of the truly healing books will fail to refer to one even if they're about the other. And, um, and then, of course, in that whole picture is the mind. So it's really a triangle for me um, in terms of how you tackle all of this and stay sane at the end of the day. <laughs> You can feel like such a loner. You can feel like, you know, it, it can feel really exhilarating going against the status quo to begin with, but then you realise all your friends think differently or all your family thinks you're a crackpot or, you know, and I, I think so many readers out there or listeners today might be thinking, oh, my God, that's so me. I know it was for me and it's literally just um, just this last couple of years been the case of people starting to go, oh, actually, you know, you know, all it takes is a child with an allergy or a skin problem that won't go away or something. Actually, yeah, Alex Rabbit's on about all of this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I might go and see what she's <laughs> written. It's, uh, it's, it's just been that desire to once I realised what was going in me wasn't so great, what was going on me wasn't so great, I worked on the third piece of that little triangle, which is making sure my mindset was, was right to deal with this information and to to learn how to best share it with others, um, to help them learn about it healthily as well, which is where we come back to that idea that puritanical um, isn't, for me, the best way forward because then you get people saying things like, oh, I had a piece of chocolate cake and I fell off the wagon in inverted commas. (laughs) And I just think, God, no, you just had a piece of chocolate cake. That's actually just what you did. That's fine. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. 
And, um, and, you know, it's not about the odd birthday party or Christmas celebration. It's what we do most of the time that counts. And the rest is just like little sweet moments that go with the flow. So, yeah, it's an interesting, it's such an interesting topic and it's, it's an interesting time where there's enough momentum gathering now for, for real communities and tribes and people who all think this way to connect and to not feel so alone. And we're starting to have um, power. I hate the word consumer, but at the end of the day, if that's how we're referred to in the scheme of companies and products, then let's say it and go there. And consumers have real power today. You know, people aren't going to make what we don't buy. And now there's enough of us not buying certain crap. Um, people are really starting to hit those focus groups and see what people really want out there. And, and what's coming back is more and more natural stuff. So you can see a huge boom um, in wonderful boutique and big companies um, providing green solutions, better solutions. Some of them are still um, telling porky pies and doing half the job and not um, whole, the whole job. So I call that greenwashing where it looks good but then you do a bit of digging and there's still a couple of nasties in there. But overall, there's never been more choice. There's never been a higher growth. I mean, just today, just now, I read that Monsanto was going to be laying off 2,500 jobs over the next 12 months because of um, their quarterly returns being so bad. Wow. Uh, and, and for those of you who don't know, Monsanto is a big um, genetically modified seed and pesticide company, which is <laughs> genius because they sell the seeds that the farmer has to buy new every year and then they also sell the pesticides that the seeds enable more use of without the crop dry- dying. So genius. Um, genius is one word. <laughs> Yeah, not doing human health any any favours. So, um, uh, and I think that's just so exciting. That's an awakening of people saying, you know what? No, I do want to know what's in my food and I question that um, food because of X, Y, Z. And in this case, you know, the easiest reason to question it is the World Health Organisation saying mm. that glyphosate, which was the, the active ingredient in Roundup, their biggest seller, um, was a probable carcinogen. So, you know, that's enough to, to make most people who are, who are smart go, well, if it's probable, then should we guess and keep using it? No, of course not. You know, this, um, this, this tide is turning. It's a really exciting time. Um, but, of course, when one voice is really loud and the old voice is still really loud, it can also be one of the most consuming, it can, confusing types of times for anyone who's just embarking upon um learning a little bit more about this stuff and that's what that's one of the points i was going to make as well i think um it can get like the sheer volume of information out there can get really overwhelming for people particularly if they're just kind of dipping their toe into making these changes so um if you could suggest to people one area to start in you know in in cutting back on the toxins where do you think that people would get the kind of the biggest impact from their first kind of tentative steps? Do you know, I think the biggest impact is going to just come from deciding to be conscious about what you're purchasing, what is going in your shopping basket. That's going to be the most massive mental shift of them all. And once you've made that shift to curiosity, um, the rest kind of starts to take care of itself over time. If you're going to do any one thing in terms of the food you're eating, um, to just start thinking about the two types of things that you buy as being produce and products 
and to move slowly from being a product-heavy shopping basket to a produce-heavy shopping basket. Not about ditching products altogether. I've got a pantry full of them myself. But it's about the majority of what we buy being produce. So really fresh, completely untainted stuff. If going organic is too soon, too much, too expensive, you haven't got your head around it for you, that's fine. But even conventional produce is still going to be better than conventional products. Yeah. Um, and um, and, and that, that's something as small as going, you know what, instead of buying another packet of shapes or grain waves or that sort of a thing this week let's swap that for letting the kids choose two different fruits each and we'll chuck those in the lunch boxes this week it can be as simple as that it's not complicated and it's you know then there's the communication piece especially if you've got older kids um, who are in your family and you have to say guys you know it's just that mummy's learnt about this stuff and it's, it turns out they sort of lied to us about this stuff being okay for our bodies and it's not and um, and so we're just going to start getting rid of a few of the packets and let's have a look at some yummy recipes we can make together from scratch instead, you know, and keep things positive. I mean, I think that's, that's super powerful because, I mean, you're not even saying um, necessarily uh, – the way I've heard it heard it kind of um, articulated before, you try and over time crowd out the products in this instance with the produce. You know, you just keep adding more of the good in, not worrying about how much of the bad you're taking out. And and over time, that shift just happens naturally. Yeah, that's exactly right. Mm. Exactly right. It's um, and it can take a couple of years, you know, because once you've started shifting to produce, you then want to start thinking, well, where's this stuff coming from? Am I going to the best butcher um, that I could be going to? Am I going to the best fruit and veg peeps? Have I found someone in the market who's spray-free but not certified so that's a better price en on, on route to organics? Um, you know, you, it's, it's like a good couple of years as you start to ask these questions of yourself and, and gather a bit of a repertoire of where your favourite places to shop are as you become more and more conscious of where stuff comes from. You know, and um, and then of course you move on to what goes on your skin, and um, there I guess the number one thing I would be worried about is your body moisturizer and your body gel, or like whatever you wash yourself with, mm-hmm. because that's obviously covering the biggest surface area, and um, and. I don't know if you mind me brand calling, but I can give no, you a couple of tips no. right here and now. So my gorgeous friend Irene uh, Falcone um, started her business pretty much the same time I started my blog and we both bonded over a disdain for something called phenoxyethanol because we were both the only two people who seemed to care about this chemical. Um, it's used in a lot of healthier brands, um, but it's still in the hormone-disrupting class of chemicals. And... To me, if you look at our BPA uh, research, paraben research, um, you can see that it's undecided whether there is any safe dose at all, whether less is better. I mean, in the case of BPA, there are even studies that show microdoses are more harmful. Um, And with the case of BPA, it shows that it can be, you know, your grandchildren that are still affected by um, your exposure to BPA. So given that phenoxyethanol is in the same class as parabens and BPA in hormone disruption, I personally don't think there's any safe level of phenoxyethanol, Mm. therefore, until someone can show me 
absolute proof that it's okay. You know, that's my, that's my barometer. I just, why would you use something if there was still a question mark next to it? I just don't understand when there's so many beautiful, natural, fantastic products these days. And so Irene's site is nourishedlife.com.au. So, um, but to me, I found it pretty much on par with the, the mainstream kind of Priceline brands, to be honest, especially if you're buying something like Walida, which is a great Swiss brand, or um, La Vera, the German brand. They're really great value, everything in the teens to early 20s in terms of price points and beautiful, natural. I mean, Walida is a biodynamic brand as well, so it, it goes down to the nerdiness of harvesting the plant when the plant actives are going to be the highest to then distill that and put that into their products. I mean, you know, it's a real passion for, for plant power, if you like. And, um, and why would you not want to use that on your skin or your kids or your, your husband, even though they're sometimes a bit harder to get across the line? <laughs> um, you know, it's just, it's just learning a new vocab. And I, I think, think yeah, and I think because we're older, you know, a lot of the people who are attracted to this sort of um, podcast or blog, as with mine, you know, late 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s and onwards, um, you know, it's harder to make changes the older we get. But I just want to say what's the cost of not making the change? And if you can't answer it, then just start. Just go, okay, I'm going to buy a natural moisturiser today. That's where I'll start, you know. And then with each product that runs out, you just do a bit of research just before the tube's finished or the jar and you think, oh, what new exciting thing am I going to, choose this time instead of feeling guilty about what you did before that's just a waste of energy um think in discovery mode and then you stop feeling deprived too or scared about what you're going to lose and you start feeling excited about what you're going to find and that's a much healthier headspace i think the idea of experimenting is really powerful just in all of these changes in you know in in shifting towards a simpler life a more natural low-tox life like a um, you know, in experimenting with minimalism or whole foods or whatever, I think to just shift your mindset away from like the the idea of it being a huge kind of burden or it's really difficult to try and find the right products or it's really hard to declutter. Like, just try it as an experiment or try it as let's let's see what happens. You know, and I think that just makes it like you said, it's curiosity and discovery. It's it's a really healthy, fun kind of way to explore these different changes. That's exactly right. It's the only way to do it with your sanity intact. Exactly. And I think that also just plays into the idea of, you know, this comparison, like we're measure, we're trying to measure ourselves up against this Instagram version of perfect natural living. And it doesn't exist, first of all. First of all. But second of all, it just it's going to drive you mad. Totally. And I really like checking in regularly with my community about how not perfect I am. Um, you know, I did a, a, a wonderful e-course with my friend Brenda Janchek last month for kids, parents um, wanting to help their, their kids thrive and raising them to love real food. And one night I realized I had no dinner for my little man. I had to go to a book launch. The babysitter called in sick and I just packed some leftover sweet potato and jumped in the car with him and he had to come with me. And it wasn't perfect. And that was all he had for dinner that night. But, you know, it was 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 he um, sick from it? Was I mentally affected by it? No, it's just one night. And, um, and I just think we can, we, we can do great most of the time. And then the rest of the time, it's just, 
you know, whatever happens, life's busy. Exactly. And there's always, you know, a number of balls in the air at any given time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, going back to, you were talking a, a bit about um, starting to broach the, the idea of making these changes with your kids um, by, first of all, I think you were talking mostly about the products, uh, the, like the product food and, you know, suggesting that you kind of tell your kids about why you're shifting away from them. That's something that I do myself. I mean, in particular, I talk I guess initially I started talking to them about um, stuff and ads and why, you know, if they saw an ad for a toy, why maybe that ad is actually telling you a lie and it doesn't, it, you know, that, that doll doesn't talk or its hair doesn't yeah. change colour like it looks, you know, on the ad, that kind of thing. And I've always found that a really useful tool in kind of getting the kids to think, even at that really young age, critically about these things. Because unfortunately, the the information that we're presented with so often now is only part of the picture. Mm. So is that something that you um, that you kind of encourage people to do, to just have, a, have those conversations with your kids from the very beginning when you're starting to make these changes? And do you think that makes it a bit easier to kind of – talk to them about it and explain it and also back yourself up when, when they, they question it? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So before they can talk, you should be going, if you're, um, if you shop in a supermarket, for example, and you do have to go down one of those aisles before they can even talk, you say things like, Oh no, we don't eat things like that. That's nasty. You know, and just, just build them all these happy packets with happy monkeys and, all sorts of cartoons on the front and superheroes and and everything, um, yet it's dead food inside, you need to prepare them for the fact that marketers lie Mm -hmm. (laughs) to achieve an agenda. And you can't start doing that early enough. A lot of people wait until their kids are in love with these sorts of things and they've seen the ads and they want them and then they just tell them no. And we're really missing a valuable conversation that we could be having with our kids um, around exactly why this stuff is a no you know just it's say and because if you say no then you're the bad guy but if you explain why no then the company is the bad guy and you don't want to be your child's bad guy um and you shouldn't be and you aren't you're actually just trying to do the best for them which is of course why you're saying no in the first place but not telling them exactly why even if you think it's too technical for them you know, like our children couldn't understand us when we started talking to them about anything when they were first born. So it's okay, they'll get it. You know, they'll, they'll understand <laughs> exactly. after a while. And um, if they still haven't understood and they're old enough, um, you know, once they get to eight or nine, you can start showing them documentaries about um, foods, Food Inc., incredible, poignant to the point of scary film about food systems. Yeah, I just think you cannot start early enough. That sugar film is a brilliant, award-winning, multi-award-winning, highest-grossing documentary in Australian history. There's a reason for that. Show your kids. My child was five when he came to that. And the most hilarious thing he said was on the way we were going and it was nighttime, so it was odd for him to be going anywhere at nighttime. And he said, I'm going to see my first naturopath movie, aren't I, Mom? <laughs> I don't know how he got the idea that it was a naturopath movie, but that's what came out of his mouth and it was the cutest thing ever. So, um, yeah, just take them along Fed Up, which is on Netflix at the moment. If anyone's got Netflix, gather your kids around. So be 
in the conversation with them instead of telling them yes or no. And I think that really does change things. And then once you've started to show them that you're not going to be eating those foods or you're certainly not going to be choosing them, um, you know, you don't have control when they're at a friend's or at a party or when they're older and they're stopping off at the coffee shop on the way home from school. You don't have control there. But you do have a say, of course, because you're the home uh, organizer, the, the the backbone of the home, what goes on in the home. And that's still going to be the bulk of what they eat until they're into their teens. So that's a really wonderful effort, no matter what they're eating outside of that. And, um, and show them the documentaries and then say, right, so this is the situation with these then. Let's all name our favorite snack from this sort of a film and see and then just open up a Pinterest board, set up a family board or even set up a family blank scrapbook that you can print and stick new substitute recipes in. And so learn how to make a fruit leather if your kids are addicted to roll-ups and learn how to make um, really kick-ass chocolate chip cookies that don't have refined sugar in them and and um, bleached wheat and all those sorts of things and learn, you know, and just start and then vote as a family. Say things like, okay, so what did we think of those? Do they make it into the recipe book or do we try a different recipe? And just make it a family project to make progress as opposed to, as I said at the start, being a yes or no without any explanation because it can actually turn out to be a really positive journey if you include everybody, um, husbands as well, Um, And if you're listening and you're the husband and you're the one driving this, then that's awesome too because it's not just women who should be concerned about what what we're feeding ourselves and our families. Absolutely. I love that idea of making it kind of a family project and learning, you know, learning and trying different substitutes and kind of getting your kids involved in that process. And I think one of the things that has also helped us with the, the changes that we continue to make is... Uh, my daughter, for example, is a real nature buff. She loves talking about nature and, you know, she was just gobsmacked to learn that some people destroy nature. This is how she talks about it. You know, they destroy nature. They don't care about nature. So to kind of try and pull her in and, and on a on a level that she understands and is interested in, I'll often talk about things like, you know, crappy plastic toys or, or what have you. They they aren't good for nature. They aren't good for nature because of the way they're made and then when you throw them in the bin, they sit under the ground for 500 years and, you know, that's not good for and, – and that has really captured her imagination because now she's aware that things, you know, sight unseen is not like they're just gone. It, these things have an impact and even at six, that's something that she – she'll often think about and talk to me about and not in like a, not in a neurotic kind of way. I don't feel like I'm making her nervous or anxious about it. It's just matter of fact, you know, and I think that's been really important too. Exactly. You've hit the nail on the head, Brooke, matter of fact. It's not sensationalism. It's actually just true. And this is where a lot of people, you know, fear teaching their kids. They think, oh, my God, I'm going to make them obsessive. It's like, no, no, you're just teaching them the truth. Um, and it's in the way we teach them. If we stay calm, if we don't say no and run across the room at a party and rip a snake out of their mouths or, you know, (laughs) like those colored snakes, if you don't do things like that, then they're not going to be, um, obsessive about it either. Um, quite frankly, I wouldn't mind if my son ate a lolly, it would be his decision at a party. Um, it's odd, but he actually chooses no still. 
and um, even took the lolly bag out. There was like a little lolly pouch at a party on the Sunday and then gave it to one of the other parents who he knows the little one does eat lollies. <laughs> he goes, Aww. here you go. Um, so-and-so really likes these. <laughs> just So, you know, um, but that's just, and he was really calm about it and I was so proud because I thought, oh, well, hopefully that means I've, I'm getting my information across in an, in a balanced, okay way. It goes back to what you were saying before about even when your kids grow up, you know, they grow older and they're teenagers and they go off and they make their own choices and they eat it, you know, fast food joints or whatever. Like they, these kind of lessons that you're introducing them to now, they will make an impact, even if it takes them a few years to kind of revert back to those things that they learned. You know, I was always the kid who was given like a whole cucumber for recess. And I thought that was weird. I still loved cucumbers and I still ate them. But now that's what I do to my kids. I'm like, you know, so like, it. I, I think you do, you do kind of fall back on those lessons that you learn. Yeah, you absolutely do. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's going to take a few brave souls to just point out that this isn't weird. So before we finish up, um, can you tell me what you're, what you're working on at the moment? I know you're, you, you run some really awesome e-courses, but um, do you have any coming up, at the mo- uh, coming up in the next kind of month or two? I sure do. I'm just in the middle of Real Food Rockstars at the moment, which is going really well. And uh, and the next one I've got going live is my uh, low-tox life e-course. So that's the one where we take 30 days to work together on ditching weirdo, um, more harmful chemicals out of our personal care, our home environments, cleaning products, kids' products, hair, makeup, nails. Uh, we cover everything, teeth. Uh, water filters, uh, everything. We cover absolutely everything over 30 days and um, it's a really empowering course because a big group of people are doing it all together and you feel, you know, sometimes workplaces get together and do it together and or little groups of friends so that they've got offline motivation as well as online and it's just a really exciting course if you're ready to kind of take that leap. Um, it's probably my favorite thing to help people do. I just love it. I just, I fall in love with all the people who do it with me. We just have the best time and, and a lot of really emotional stuff comes up. You know, sometimes it's not easy to convince the mum-in-law to stop using some toxic baby shampoo or, you know, whatever. And we, we really deal with the psychology of the changes as much as the changes themselves. And it's just really, really awesome. Um, we do a bit of meditation as well. So each Sunday we'll have like a little meditation guest who takes us through um, a 10-minute meditation to kind of ensure that all the way along learning some pretty crappy things about what we've been using, we stay really positive and excited about what we're going to be changing. So, yeah, it's it's great fun and it starts on the 26th of October. Um, that's really exciting. I love hearing that people kind of tend to do those together as well i think that's a uh, i don't know it's another another sure sign that people are really keen to make these these shifts and i think it helps when you you don't feel like you're completely alone in it as well um you know because there is like the the maybe the pressure from family or friends or whatever to just continue doing as you as you've always done and i think we give ourselves ourselves you know a measure of that kind of pressure too because I don't, I don't know about you, but when I've gone to make big changes like that before, um, 
these feelings of kind of guilt and shame and fear all come to the fore. So to be able to do a course like that and make changes like you're, you're helping people to do and do it with a partner or do it with a group of friends would be so helpful because those kind of feelings of fear and guilt and shame, they lose a bit of their power when you've got someone next to you. Totally. Yeah, they sure do. Very exciting. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I don't know. I don't think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but we're putting on a, an, a bit of an event with um, Alex, myself, and Kelly Exeter, who's a guest, uh, previous guest of the show as well, in Perth in uh, July. I think we've, we don't have a date set in stone yet. June, I think June. it is. Early okay. June, before so the school on. holidays, and uh, and maybe we could pop the little uh, register your interest here link in Good the show thinking. notes as well. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, so that that will be fun. I'm really looking forward to that as well. Me too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. I must go and pick up my son from school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> About that time, isn't it? It is. Um, but no, I really appreciate you talking to us and I think people will get a lot out of your tips and your advice. And um, I'll also include links to the show notes in the show notes to your website and social media and stuff so people can follow up with you. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Brooke. Thanks, Alex. This has been another episode of the Slow Home Podcast. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe via iTunes and leave us a rating or a review. Thanks for listening.